Sunday. I always love that when we have an opportunity to to remember what Jesus has done for us. Because in a world that's crazy like our world is, and then with the holidays, if we're honest, it's just we can get pulled in so many directions. And I love days like this where we can just kind of take a deep breath, you know, stop for a moment, set our focus back on what really matters. Amen. And that's God's love for us and, and what he has accomplished for us. Um, if you have a Bible handy, and I pray that you do, we're going to continue on in our study in Romans this morning, Romans chapter 12. We're going to just cover a couple verses, verses 14 through 16 in our series Made Right. And I remind you each week why we call it Made Right, because you can't make yourself right. God sent his son into this world to make you right as you open up your heart to him confessing our sins and our need for him. He comes into our life. He cleanses us from our sin. He fills us with his spirit, sets us on the right path, and then begins to grow us as we uh, get into the word of God. And we let the word of God get into us and, and begin to put it to practice. And uh, God just does amazing things. And we're always excited about that. And I titled this morning's message, Mission Possible. How many of you remember that that television series is back in the 60s and the 70s by that name, Mission Impossible. You remember that? It was made famous probably for more of you because of Tom Cruise in the movie, right? But in the 60s and 70s, then it came back out for a short stint in the 80s, uh, the television show Mission Impossible. And it always opened, I always loved that. The, the team leader, Mr. Phelps, remember he, he would be somewhere and this shows you how old it is, right? He would have a cassette player, right? A cassette player. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody around you. What is what is that? And and he would hit the play button, and you know, would tell you that the thing was going to destruct and stuff. But but he would it would always start like this, and and it would say, um, in such a way, it was it was one of those things where. It, you just can't ever forget it if you if you ever listened to it and you heard it. He says, you know, your mission, if you what, choose to accept it, right? Yeah, your mission, if you choose to accept it. And then he would, you know, go through it. And then again, at the end, the, the message would self-destruct. And then it would go on into the show. And it was really, really a cool thing. And and I, I think about that because in, here in Romans chapter 12, Paul is laying out for us. And that's why we've been going slow through this process in Romans chapter 12. He's laying out for us, you know, our mission, not impossible per se, you know, it's impossible when you read it and try to figure out how do I accomplish this, you know, on my own. You can't. And, and it can be very frustrating for people. But um, if we choose to accept it, that's when God makes it become mission possible because of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. If there was a word, though, to describe, um, you know, this mission that Paul is talking about here in, in Romans chapter 12, it's one word. and It's the word love. You know, Paul's laying out for us, like I said, what love looks like. It's love in action. That's what we've been looking at the last, you know, couple of weeks here. And so as Paul does this, you know, he's, he's offering this mission, you might say, to a person. And, and, and again, you have to understand this because if you get this wrong, this isn't for everybody. This mission that Paul is talking about, uh, this mission is for those that when you look at verses one and two, who have submitted themselves to God, have surrendered themselves to God and have chosen, as Paul would say, you know, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? that you present your body as a living sacrifice, that you you've put your life on the altar, you could say that that your desire is to live for God. 
and, and to not be, as we, we've shared the last few weeks, to be squeezed in you know, by what the world is trying to get you to do, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you've done that, then now you're in the place where you can begin to move out in this mission that God has called us to. You, know, you remember in, in verse 1 where it says this, and I'm reading from the NLT, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, he says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So, again, unless we've done that, it's impossible for us to you know, live this plan that God has for our life and all the things that the Apostle Paul is calling us to do here in Romans chapter 12. And again, it's like Paul's saying to us, you know, your mission, if you choose to accept it, then begins by what? It was in what we read in verse two. It begins with, he says in verse two, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. It says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing to him. And so, you know, we, we accomplish, you know, God's will, as we then studied from there, we looked in verses three through eight that actually walked through the gifts, the different gifts, and we read them from different passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and then, and then how do we put those things into practice? And we looked at that last week, and just as a reminder, you know, in verses nine through 13, Paul said, you know, that our love was to be about without hypocrisy. In other words, is that don't, don't have fake love. Don't, don't let your love be fake, but, but make sure that the love that you have for people is real. And the only way that's going to happen is, like I said, is by surrendering ourselves to God, having our minds changed, you know, by the power of the Spirit, walking in, in the power that God provides. The second thing we talked about last week is to make sure that our love is genuine, because he talks about genuine in the sense of it's a family, is that our, our love should be affectionate the way that it would, should be in a family relationship, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And then our love should also be, as we, we discussed last week, enthusiastic. It should be diligent. It shouldn't be lazy. It shouldn't, you know, um, it's really, to put it in the probably the best light is that everything that we would do in this life, that we would do it unto the Lord. That that would be our, our motivation. It's not necessarily for man, but it's definitely for God. And then the last thing that we looked at last week that your, our love seeks to do is it seeks to give and not to get. You know, we're trusting, you know, that God would meet the needs of the people that we're praying for. We're hoping the best for them. We're believing the best in them. And this is the motivation that our gifts are to operate in and from. These are, you could say it's the foundation that he's laying as he builds into. Then what do we do from there? And like I said, in verses 9 through 13, you know, Paul began to lay out some of the details regarding, you know, our mission and how we're supposed to carry ourselves as we live. You know, and, and one of the things we need to understand we're called to live on mission all the time. You know, sometimes we look at mission as like, oh, mission is church, right? So I come on a Sunday or I come on a Wednesday or a Monday, you know, or I go to a, a specific thing and you go, oh, no, no, we, we've been called, you know, we've been chosen to live on mission every single day of our life is a mission. And, and once we really comprehend that, because I think, you know, what happens in all of our lives, if, if we're not privy to that, then it is easy to get what? To get squeezed in by the world, isn't it? It's easy to get conformed because somebody's going to pressure you all the time. But to, 
but to set our minds on the things up above, as Paul is saying, you know, to, to pursue the things of God and to think his thoughts and to pursue him through his word. And as you're reading the word, it's, again, it's not just me getting into the word, but it's the word of God getting into me and then going, God, I want to live this out, but I can't live this out unless you live in me. And then to live with that awareness of his presence. You know, as Larry was sharing you in worship, that, that God is with us. That, that's, the, that's the greatest blessing, Church of Communion, today. Is, is when we, we eat these elements, we consume them, the, the body, the bread, and the cup, which represents his blood, his life, and, and it's in us. You go, once, once you consume it, it can't be separated from you. It becomes part of you. And that's, that's what he wants us to understand is that you cannot go anywhere in this life when Christ is in you, that, that Jesus isn't there. And that should be you know, our comfort and our peace today before service. I was over at, uh, you can pray for John, you know, Klein's today. John, John's mom, uh, Gracie, went home to be with the Lord this morning. She was 92. Loved Jesus. And uh, she's in the presence of God. But, but, it, but it's painful. You know, it, 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 it hurts, you know, to, to lose someone. And, and I'm just there, you know, I'm watching, watching these guys. And, and it, it's just, a, I thank God, you know, that for the gift of Jesus, because I wouldn't, what would I say, you know, in a moment like this, he, but he was with them. He was, he was there in this moment. I mean, it, it's heartbreaking when you love someone and, and they go before your very eyes. And, and I remember as I walked in, you know, when I think about even something of what we'll be talking about, you know, in just a few moments, you know, of comforting one another, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you don't know what to say. And I've shared, shared with you most of the time, it's not that we say anything. And I remember this morning as I walked in and, um, she had just passed about maybe five minutes before I got there. And, um, so I walk in and, and the family's there and there's just weeping, you know, that's going on. It's just so raw. And I just stopped and I just prayed and I go, Lord, you know, I, I don't want to say anything more than you want me to say. And I don't want to say any less. Just help me to understand. And it was so sweet. It was just like, as I was standing there, it was like the Lord wasn't an audible voice. It was just the impression of my heart it was like, Mike, just let them worship me with their tears. Let me let them worship me with their tears. And I just stood there and I could just hear him. And you could just sense this because you know, we, we don't think about that. Worship is definitely in our tears as well. You know, God says that he bottles up our tears and he puts them in a bottle. There's nothing wasted, you know, and in, but here's the hope, you know, that we have that's in Jesus. And then to listen to them because they're all strong believers, and then working through that, you know, that pain. And, you know, John, he, he had shared with me, he said, you know, um, one of the things that was interesting, it's, you know, what takes so long sometimes for people to pass? It's frustrating, you know, when you're, if you've ever lost a loved one and you've been praying, it's like, God, please just take them. I mean, they're, they're you know, they're, they're grasping for, for breath. And I shared with John, I said, John, you know, we were, you have to understand we were created for life. We weren't created for death. And, and we're going to do everything we can in a sense to stay alive. Because Jesus said, I've come to give you what? Life and give you life to the fullest. We want to live. Death is what came into this world because of sin. And, and even at 92, she was still fighting against that. But I love the, the realization when you get through all that, that as believers, that you go, hey, guess what, though? To be absent from the body is what? It's to be present with the Lord. And even though it hurts and there's pain in the loss, and there should be, it's, it, it's, a, it's a tearing. It, it, 
But there's still that, that joy, that unspeakable joy in the deepest place of your life. And it's because of that. You know, when we think about we're, we're on mission every single day to, to face that reality in people's lives as we come across situations, circumstance where people need to understand that Jesus is Lord. You know, and that's really what, what verses 1 and 2 are all about. And as I shared with you, you know, in verses you know, 9 through 13 there, you know, Paul's focus you know, is, is on our relationship last week with other believers. And what Paul you know, wanted us to understand is that the, the very first thing, you know, once you've given your life to the Lord, think, look at the progression here. You've given your life to the Lord. You started the process of having your mind renewed, right? As you get into the word of God and the word of God gets into you. And then you start discovering who you are in Christ, your gifts and your calling. And then you begin to step out in those gifts. He says to make sure that what you do is you're stepping out in love, right? That your motivation is love. And you go, because remember the gifts aren't for ourselves. The gifts are for the benefit of other people. And so as we start to comprehend that, you go, then we, we start with, our, it says, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Those that are within the family of God. And when you read that, you go, and let me ask you an honest question by a show of hands. Is it hard sometimes to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? No, raise your hand if it is. You know, yeah. I mean, if I'm in your life, you can say that. I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, but it's, it's true. And, and so Paul, understand that there's a reason, I mean, you know, that he starts here. He's going that we would, we would have a love for one another because here's the point as we get into this today, and we'll, we'll read this in just a moment and we'll pray is that if we can't love one another in the body of Christ, and our motivation isn't for the benefit of one another. And we can't do this here. You know, I used, I used to tell this to our, our staff members years ago. I go, you know, if it's not happening at home, don't export it. You know, I mean, if, if definitely whatever we do. And that's really the message, you know, to the church. It's like, if it's not happening here, how could we export it to other people? So it's like Paul is going, you know, this is where it needs to get developed. This is where you practice, you know, you, your gifts. This is where you, you fall forward. You fail forward in front of one another. Why? And you go, because these are the people that love you, right? And when you fall, what are they going to do? They're going to pick you up. But that's not what it's going to be like in the world, right? And so this is what Paul is saying. He's going, you know, that we would have this kind of love for one another. Because the next level that he's going to take, and it's going to get worse, when, as you look at chapter 12 here, when I say worse, it's, it's the pressure on our love. This whole chapter is about love. In a word, that's what it's about. It's about love. Learning how to love people. Okay? It's putting our, our love you know, into practice, in, in action. Okay? And so he, he starts there, as we studied last week, with, with the church. Those that are brothers and sisters in Christ. Then he, now he's moving out from there to people who aren't brothers and sisters in Christ. But he basically starts it with that realization that, you know, if we can't do it here with us, you go, how are we going to be effective ever in loving people in a way that they would accept it? Because they'll see through it because they'll see what? They'll see the hypocr hypocritical aspect of love. They go, oh, this is fake. I mean, you've seen it just like I have, and we probably all, at different degrees, participated in it. Is that you go, why are they loving me? Why, why are these Christians showing me, well, they just want me to come to their church. Do they want me to come to Christ, or do they just want me to come to their church? Because if you come to their church, they treat you differently, right? Because you're in. But if you don't come to their church sometimes, guess what? You become what? An outsider, 
I hear, hear it all the time from people. And so here, you know, Paul is making sure that, you know, we start from within. And then in verses 14 through 16 there, I mean, now he starts moving out to people who are actually the enemies of, of Christ. And then, and then, I mean, you know, verses 17 through 21 in particular. And, and, and it's a strong word, enemy, isn't it? And nobody wants to, to sit here today and think, you know, that I don't have any enemies. And you go, well, if you're living for Jesus, let me just put it this way. If you really live for Jesus Christ, I mean, really live for Jesus and you live the way that he's called you to. It's not that you have a hatred for other people. They're going to have a hatred for you because they have a hatred for Jesus. Does that make sense? So it's not that you did it, but they're going to hate you. Jesus said it. He goes, don't, you know, they, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. And that's kind of how you know that you're on track. I, I, I made a quote up yes, last week. I sent it to Mike and Jason. And we were talking about spiritual gifts and stuff. And I said, you know, in the, in the Pentecostal church, because you know, it'll make sense maybe when I explain this to you. But I said in the Pentecostal church, the initial evidence uh, of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. Okay, because that's, that's what the Assemblies of God believe. And I said, if you're a uh, Calvinist or reformed in your theology, uh, the initial evidence of, of the Holy Spirit is a black eye. And, and what I meant by that is there, we had been talking with some people in our lives that were, that were Calvinist and deeply, you know, I mean, five point, I'm not saying that there's, there, I mean, there, I'm probably, there's, I'm probably a three point Calvinist. Okay. I mean, if, I'm, but it's not a, I'm not a tulip in that respect, but, but there's parts of, you know, and you think about reform doctrines, it can include a lot of things, but what I'm talking about is, is people that they just want to argue theology. And, and that's, they don't even like this chapter because this chapter isn't deep in theology. It's deep in what? Practical application of living it out. Because you know what? There's an old expression. I think you'd agree. People could care less what you know until what? They know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's, so that's what Paul's talking about. Now, does that mean we throw theology out? And you go, No. There's definitely a balance there. But what's going to reach the world is our love for them. Okay, the same way that it was God's love that reached us. And so as we look at verses 14 through 16, where Paul turns our attention, like I said, away from our brothers and sisters in Christ. And now he focuses our, on us loving unbelievers. That's really what today is about. And then next week it'll be how to love truly your enemy. So it, like I said, it's progressive. But it's all this whole chapter is about love in action. So, so as you look at this, you know, as I, as I, I read Paul's, you know, words here in chapter 12, I'm saying to myself, I don't know what you're saying, but I'm going, God, I can't do this. I mean, it's, it's hard enough trying to love people that love you. And now you're calling me to love people that don't love you. I'm just going to throw the towel in right now and just say, God, I can't. And that's exactly what he wants me to say. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. He said, but in me, you can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens you. And I go, oh. So what is that? It goes back to verse one again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body to God as a living sacrifice. And until I do that, until I start to, you know, have my mind transformed by the word of God, and I start to let God, you know, place his thoughts in my mind and lose mine, you go, then I could never reach the place that God wants me to reach. 
And I get that. That's why we keep looking to this and going back you know, through it because it's so easy to miss. But let, let's read verses 14 through 16 and let me just take a moment and pray. It says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God would bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those that weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you. As we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate your birth into this world. And each of us, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving us from our sin because I read this chapter and I see how imperfect my love is. And like I said, not just for my brothers, my sisters in Christ, but especially a lack of genuine love for people that are outside the body of Christ, especially those as we look at this week and next week, those that, that hate you and seek harm to those of us that love you for simply believing in you. And so Lord, as we read your word today, we pray that you'd make it real in our hearts and our minds and that it wouldn't just stay there, but it would move down to our feet and it would transform not just the way that we think, but the way that we act, Lord, in this world. Because God, we recognize we can't do it on our own. God, we want it to be mission possible. And so we ask you, Lord, fill us up, Lord, today. Teach us and grow us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, you know, if you have a pen and paper, or if you do this electronically, you know, or just that you have a photographic memory, you know, there's really four things that I look at this, just these, these two verses here, that seemingly they're impossible, like I said, unless we yield ourselves to God. And, you know, like I said, we're allowing God's word to mold and shape our lives. So if, if I was going to tell you, you know, this, it's, there's four ways that I, I see here that to live mission possible, how it, not mission impossible, but mission possible right there in verse 14, it starts off, you know, step one, you could say is bless those who hurt you, bless those who persecute you. You could say, don't, don't curse them. Pray that God would bless them. You know, isn't it interesting? You don't have to take a class on how to curse people. No, you've never taken a class, have you, on cursing people? Matter of fact, some of my best prayers, I would call imprectory prayers. You know, those are the prayers in Scripture where you call down fire from heaven, you know, on, on your enemies. You go, they are in Scripture, okay? They're just not the majority. But I go, man, you know, that Lord, that was a really good prayer. I got to admit that. It was a really good prayer. I, I, I called down fire on those guys, you know. Wow. You know, and you think about that and you go, but I need to have God change the way that I think the way that I pray, you know, as I go through the book of Psalms, you know, especially with men, you're like, yeah, it's my favorite Psalm, man. Just praying that God would just wipe them out. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my heart. And it's right there and it's highlighted. The only passage in the whole Bible that you got highlighted, you know, man, that's a, look at this. We need to memorize this one, you know? And, but I, I get that because that, that's my nature. That's my, you know, uh, going, man, that's my old self. You go, yeah, I can, I can jump all over that, you know? And yet, you know, and you'd see it when people do it and they pray, Lord, I just pray that you withhold your favor from their lives. Don't bless them. You know, you don't have to say mean things per se, but you know, but you're going, wow. And they're, and they're like, people are praying and they're praying like this. They're going, did I just hear what he said? And you go, it was biblical. And you, and you go, do I, it's hard to say amen to that. You go, do I say amen to that? Yeah, say amen. Amen. Man. And then you're telling them, I didn't really want to say it. You know, it's just everybody 
and you feel that pressure. You know, it's like, but you think about that word, that word persecute there, you know, in scripture. And Paul talks about this, you know, bless those who persecute you there in verse 14. It, it means literally to drive out. And I, I think you get that persecution to drive out. That when someone's persecuting you, they're, they're, especially with the gospel, they're seeking to eliminate it, to, to drive it out. And Paul is saying that, you know, that we're to show our love for people who persecute us, that are trying to drive us out, to do what? Bless them instead. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what you want to do today? Doesn't it just give you warm fuzzies? You know, that, yeah, yeah, that's what they persecute you. They're seeking to drive you out. Hey, can I pray for you? I like to pray God's blessing over your life. You go, just not the natural thing to do. Then you think of the word bless in and of itself. What does it mean to bless somebody? I was raised Catholic, so this is always really important, okay? Now, when you bless them, what are you doing? When you bless somebody, throw it out there. Come on, this is a, we'll make this a, you know, you can. Pray. You what? Pray for them, yeah. You, you want to bless them. There you go. Yeah. Bestow, bestow a good upon them, bestow a gift upon them, bestow something upon them. You know, again, you're wanting to, to bless them. And, and when you look at it in scripture, the best way to do it is anytime you see that word bless, if you want to know what the, the meaning really is, it'll be in the context of how it's shared. So if it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and, and forget not all of his benefits. So you go, okay, how do I bless the Lord? You go, well, that would obviously be through praise, right? We'd praise him for that. You go, or bless, you know, um, those around you with the bountiful blessings that God has provided from your field. So how would you say you would bless your neighbor in that? If God blessed the produce of your field, how would you bless others? What would be the, the way that you would do that? Yeah. Awesome. You guys can. I hope second service is, is dialed. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, hold, I'm not holding out a lot, but you know what? But. Because anybody goes to church at 830, you guys, right? You didn't have to sleep in. No. No, but you're, you want to bestow a good. And I think we get that, right? That you want to, you're praying that God would bestow a good upon their life. Now, to put that in context, you go, so when people are trying to drive you out, your response and my response should be to what? God bless them as they do. Now, you'd think, this is stupid, what, that's like saying, I like it. You're like, you're like, God, what are you talking about? Me praying that you would bestow good in their life when they're hurting me. They're driving me out. You know, and you go, hmm. It's the very opposite, like I said, of what's being done to you. People are trying to, like I said, drive you away, shut you down. And God's going to pray that, that they would be blessed instead of causing the hurt that they're the heartache that they're seeking to bring upon you. See, unbeknownst to the person who's persecuting you, they don't, they don't get this. Your prayers for them might be the only thing that is holding back the judgment of God upon their life. You ever thought about that? Your prayer. And you go, why would I want to do that? And you go, because God wants you to do it. Just like, you know, in 1 Corinthians 7, it says the unbelieving Husband is sanctified by the believing wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband, right? Somebody's holding on. And because somebody holds on, guess what? There's hope. That's why we're called not to quit, to, to hang in there, to hold on. God always works through, through hope. You think about, you know, when Jesus prayed, 
from the cross in Luke 23, 34. What did he pray? He said, Father, forgive them for what? They know not what they do. Did he have a right to pray from the cross? You know, Father, wipe them all out. You know, yeah, he could have done that. And we deserved it. But in love, he, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Think about some examples. You know, how do people persecute us? I mean, they might seek to just make your life unpleasant, you know. And they do that with the hope of driving you away. Maybe a boss doesn't like you. And so he tells you, you know, put up Christmas tree lights at the church. And you don't like doing that, you know, and stuff. No, but you go, they give you the worst task, right? You know, a teacher blames you for everything that goes wrong in the classroom, you could say. You know, people are always criticizing you. You know, they run you down, you know, to other people. Coworkers, you know, they ask your opinion on things just so that they can, you know, try to belittle you or make fun of, you know, what your opinions are, especially if you're a believer. You know, hey, what do you say about that? You know, and the next thing you know, people gossip about you, whatever, you know, the things might be. And Paul's saying that we're to love these people. Is that impossible? It is in my flesh. Isn't it so awesome? Then you start really understanding this chapter, don't you? Because the only way this is possible is if I do what? If I give myself as a living sacrifice to God. That's holy and pleasing to him. Because you put me alone in that situation by myself, in myself. And you go, and I will be in the flesh. 100% of the time. And so it's just a great, great reminder, you know, for us. Because it's normal. It's normal to be human. You know, it's normal to want to hurt people that hurt us. I mean, I have grandkids. I watch what happens. One of them's playing. They, they hurt the other one accidentally, right? What, what do they do? I mean, when they, when they get hurt accidentally, they do something to hurt them. Do you think the other one turns around and goes, come here. Let me, let me bless you. Come here. That hurts, but I want to hug you. Oh, no. No, you wouldn't even think they were related at that point. I mean, it's, it's I mean, just see the... You know, I was telling, you know, my son, you know, Brady, our, our grandson, he's so funny. He's, you know, 14 months old and he, you can, he's, he's all boy, you know, and he, he likes to play. And then all of a sudden he's just like, he literally wants to rip my face off. I mean, he, and he's looking at me and he's all of a sudden he's like, you know, I'm like, you know, you don't have to teach him that it's in there. You want to get it out. And that's how do we get it out by not being conformed to the world by being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so again, we have to let God do that. And what's the best place? It's like right here. It's the cross. Coming back to the cross, forgiveness. Realizing, you know, that if I got what I deserved, if you got what you deserve, it literally would be hell. But to be reminded, and that's the beauty of communion, bringing us back to the place where you remember what Jesus did for me personally. That's why you, you receive communion personally, right? That you would remember and I would remember that Jesus died for me. He, yeah, he died for us, but he, he died for me. He died for you. And in doing that, it's a lot easier to get the log out of my own eye before I try to get the speck out of your eye. And this is what Paul keeps bringing us back to. You know, if God forgives, think about this. You know, if God forgives, can we afford to do anything less? You know, 
You know, and I, I love this thought. You know, it's impossible to hate someone that you pray for consistently. It is impossible to hate somebody that you pray for. And that's why sometimes people go, I don't want to pray. Because you know, because prayer doesn't necessarily change them, but it'll always change me, right? That's what it does. It might not change them, but it'll change me. Pray. So what's Paul advocating, you know, here in Romans 12? Same thing that Jesus taught the disciples there on the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 44 and 45. Jesus said, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So the question today is, are we just or unjust in Bakersfield? We got rain. Yeah. So we go, oh, Lord, thank you. And he's like, I didn't, I'm not giving it to you because, no. <laughs> so I think, hey, well, he had to be good because he blessed. No, he causes the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. Just his grace. Think about Stephen, right? The, the first martyr. This was so powerful. I was studying this this week. And just going back and reading the story of Stephen's life there in Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60. He prayed for those, right, that were, that were stoning him to death. I mean, they, you talk about persecuting him, literally killing him for the, for the faith. You know, as a, the first martyr in the New Testament. He says, and it says, and they, as they stoned Stephen, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus Receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Is that love? Oh, yeah. It says, and with that, he died. So what's step one? Bless those who hurt you. Step two, seek to heighten other people's highs and lessen their lows. That's step two. Seek to heighten Others' highs and lessen their lows. Look there in verse 15. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. It's impossible, right? Without the help of God. Why? Because of jealousy, because of envy, selfishness. It's hard to be happy when other people are happy, especially if we're not, you know, and to be in that situation. I mean, here's an example. You get a new car. So you drive over to your brother or sister in the Lord, their house, you show them your brand new car. And what is their response to you? If they're not happy with you in that, they look at you and they go, you know, how much did that cost you? You tell them and they go, wow, wow, whoa. Do you know how many people we could have fed in a third world country with what that cost you? And you go, what happens? Right, there's your little bubble, right? You know. You go, why, why, would, why would you say that? You go, well, because, you know, and all of a sudden they get a car and you could think of the same thing and you go, do I say it? And your spouse is going, no, 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 don't, don't, don't say it. How about when people hurt? You know, instead of having empathy for them, you know, this is where we get overly theological, right? People will say that they're hurting, you know, they're suffering. And then, and this is like my favorite one, you know, people like, because I've had a lot of, you know, sicknesses and illnesses and things. And literally, I'll have somebody come up to me and they go, Pastor Mike, they go, what unconfessed sin do you have in your life that God is allowing you to go through this trial? And because I'm pretty sarcastic at times, I go, hmm, possibly having you as a friend. <laughs> that might be what I'm kind of thinking. What, what were you thinking? You know, I mean, seriously, you go, 
even if it was true, you know, it's like this. Okay, here's, an, here's another example. Somebody in your life gets in a car accident. You tell me. You get, you get A, B, or C here, okay? They get in a car accident. And they call you. They're driving your car, okay? Your first response to them is either what? You go, no, no, no. Let me look at my, sure, I have this in my my notes. A, who was at fault? Who was at fault? Second, second, how much damage did it do to the car? And then third is, are you okay, right? Now, if you don't believe that, I was in an accident years ago coming to church on a Wednesday night, and this car blew through a stoplight. We, we hit, it was their, their, their fault. They admitted it. The guy had a laceration on his head, so they had to call his wife. And as he's standing there with me on the, on the curb, he's like, man, oh, she's going to kill me. She's going to kill me, you know? And I said, no, she'll want to know. And he goes, no, she didn't want me to drive her car. It's a brand new Mercedes. It was like a $150,000 Mercedes. I looked it up. It was like really nice. And now it wasn't very nice. And, <laughs> and he goes, she's going to kill me. So I was kind of interested, to be honest with you, when she got there, because he'd called her. And so we're standing there on the side and there's a paramedic holding the thing on his head and she, she pulls up and she parks right in front of me there and she gets out of the car. So I'm going, I'm with interest. I'm watching this and she's walking right towards us. I'm like, he's wrong. She wants to know how he's doing. Well, when she got past the vehicle that was blocking it, then she saw her car in the street. She made a beeline for the street. She was out there looking at the thing. And I looked at him and I go, man, you were right. And, and he goes, I told you. He goes, that's her, her baby. That's, that's her, her baby. So I, I thought of her when I, I was thinking of this, you know, it was who she wanted to, is he at fault? Man, no, we're at fault, honey. It was my fault. I, I, oh God. And then it was funny. Are you okay? And then, man, I can't imagine the hurt that he got when he got home, you know, after that, but those things happen. But if you remember, you know, in first Corinthians 12, you know, Paul uses that, that same analogy word, the body of Christ. And for a body to be healthy, we've got to do what? We've got, to, we've got to share with one another. I love that picture of the human body, that when your body has an injury, what is, what's the rest of your body do? It gives up proteins, right? Sends it from the rest of the body to bring healing there. And then what a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, that we, would, that we would weep with those that weep, and that we would mourn with those that mourn. We would rejoice with those that rejoice, that, that it's a shared activity, it's a shared event. And then to think, wow, uh, this is also not just people that are in the church, but in the world as well. Oh, man. Step one, bless those who hurt you. Step two, seek to heighten other people's highs, lessen their lows. Step three then, you know, here, seek common ground. Seek common ground. Seek common ground. Look at verse 16 there. Live in harmony with each other. Okay? Most of us are familiar with this old saying, if I thought like you, we'd both be wrong. Right? I mean, that's just a common thing. So, Paul here, he's saying, you know, that as followers of Jesus, it's a hard job. It's my job. We're to be the initiators, okay? As a, if, as a Christian, as a brother or sister in Christ, to be the initiator, to find common ground. And, and not, no, we try to do this, the art of persuasion, right? People go, oh, you know, they're, they're just good at persuading. That you just get people to come to your side of the equation. That's not what Paul's talking about, is that, you know, that we would live in harmony, that we would really strive to find common ground. And that's a difficult thing to do because 
as Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People said, you know, seek first what? To understand before being understood. And that means putting them first. And that's really difficult to do. Because if you're honest, oftentimes when someone is talking and we're in a conversation with them about pretty much anything, what are we doing? We're thinking about what I'm going to say next, right? I'm not necessarily, when they go, did you hear what I said? Were you saying something? I was, I know what I was going to say. But no, did you hear what I said? You know, I'm just talking about a normal conversation my wife and I have every day. You know, it's like, she'll go, are you listening to me? Hmm. I was really trying to get my defense, you know, in order here. Because I, no, no, yes, okay, I get it. But like I said, it's not about persuading. It's about cooperating. What's that word, cooperating? Cooperating. Cooperating. That we're coming together to work together, living in harmony. So for Paul, it was more, you know, about unity than it was unanimity. You know what? You know what unity is? Simple definition. What's unity? We agree, right? Yeah, together. So we we all agree. What's unanimity? We don't necessarily all agree, but we decide whatever we don't all agree on, we're going to agree on it. You know. Let me just put it to you that way. Okay. No, I put it this way. Unity is we all agree. Unanimity is when we don't all agree, but we agree to be in unity. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And you go, and Paul's going, no, it's really about unity here. But when you can't all come to an agreement, it's one thing I will say this. You know, you didn't hear me say a whole lot about politics, right, before this election, because really our drive and force is not politics. You know, it's theology. It's what what does God have to say? Because really, in the end, that's all that's going to matter anyway, right? But I will say this, you know, I'm a Republican, not a Democrat. But one thing I did appreciate about Democrats in this election, I think it's the reason a lot of them won, they put something into practice that the Bible teaches. They practiced unity. Even even as I looked at this and I was thinking, Republicans are going to just, there is going to be a red wave because it just seemed like that Democrats were all over the map, right? I mean, just like they had these extreme positions and Republicans were just there going, Listen, we just like God, we like a Bible, we like a gun, uh, you know, and a steak every once in a while, you know. And, and it was kind of like it was like more of a kind of a simple, you know, way. And I'm, well, I, I get that. And then you think, well, how did the Democrats win this? And some of you are out there and you've already gone to your conspiracy thing. They rigged the election. Okay, that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But just say they didn't, okay? How did they win? And this is what I, I saw. Something they said. They were saying this about themselves. They go, listen, we disagree about everything. They go, but we disagree behind closed doors. And when we go out, we go out in unison because we know it's about winning. I'm going, that's pretty hard to beat. And guess what? Even as what I might say is convoluted, guess what? It works. And you go, why? Because it's biblical. Whether you're a Christian or not doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't work. The difference if you're not a Christian, you just don't end up in heaven. That's really the sad thing is to apply the Bible and go, man, this is an awesome book. And, just, and not have Jesus as Savior and Lord, right? You go, that's, that's the bummer. I, I saw a, a post of a, a prayer this last week when thinking about unity. It said this, oh God, when I'm wrong, make me easy to change. And when I'm right, make me easy to live with. I like, I like that. Yeah. So the only way to experience unity and unanimity is what die to myself. 
That's it. goes back to, did you see where this is going? <laughs> Always goes back to verse 1. Till I throw myself on the altar until I'm willing to have my mind changed. No, there's no, there's no, there's no hope. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. So step one is what? Bless those who hurt you. Step two, seek to heighten others' highs and lessen their lows. Step three is seek common ground. That brings us to the last one that Paul you know, mentions for us there in, in verse 16 as well. And you might put it like this, have a big heart, not a big head. Have a big heart, but not a big head. Romans 12, 16, it says, live in harmony, which we just read with each other. And he says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Paul's saying, you know, we're going to take the high, high road with people is we need to treat people equally. They're equal in value. They're not equal in position. And don't be too proud to associate really with anybody. Did Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Publicans? and Yeah. And you go, but it was, a, it was a group of people that the religious people didn't want to eat with, right? Because they were separatists, okay? Well, they, they thought, do you see that all the way from the way that the temple's built? John, are you going to teach on that when we go to Israel? We, are you going to teach on the, on the temple? Are you ready for that one? Yeah, we got to get together and go over because John's going to do all the teaching. He didn't know that yet. I just, I just threw it out to him. Yeah. He does such a wonderful job. It's like, you know, you just, you're just enamored, just like wow, that's pretty cool, you know? I mean, but to, to think that the temple, you know, had all the, the, these, these courts, right? And they're all, because they separated themselves. They didn't want to be together. And Jesus came to do what? Break down the walls, right? That separated us. And so they'd look at this and they'd go, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be around that. But Jesus was modeling, you know, the very opposite, you know, for us. And yet, you know, they saw themselves what? And maybe we do too, better than other people. I don't want to be with them. I don't want to, you sit here, you know, they, they mistook the graces, you know, of God and his gifts that were given to them the same way that we can, you know, why is a spiritual gift given to us? What's the purpose for the edifying? What did, what did Paul write to the church in Ephesians in chapter four for the building up of the body in what? In love. That's what the gifts are for. And if we're not exercising that, you go, well, then what are we exercising it for? Well, because in the true sense, we're not. We're not exercising it. And many of the people in Paul's day, that's exactly what happened. It's true, our actions, our actions will prove if we accept people like Jesus accepted people. I put in you know, my notes, do you look down on people of different color, different ethnicities? Do you look down on the opposite sex? If you're a man, you know, you think about all the things that we can do, you know, as, as people, men or women, and how we perceive, you know, the opposite sex. You know, all the gifts are of equal value to God but they're not of equal responsibility. And that's what we need to remember. Some positions hold more prominence. You know, Paul writes that here and in 1 Corinthians 12. Some have greater influence, but they're all valuable. And until we see that, until we understand that, you know, what happens is it's how schisms, you know, how schisms operate. I remember reading a story one time in a book where a pastor was doing a sermon on relationships. And so he went out in front of his own church and he dressed like a bum. 
And he sat out in front of the church and, and he was basically begging people, right? And it was the pastor doing it. And you couldn't tell he did this good. Like, you know, have you ever seen that uh, undercover boss, you know, where they go in? This was good. And I saw the little video of it and he's out there and, and it had a hidden camera, which man, I was, I don't think I, I seriously, I don't think I'd have done this if I was him. I mean, he showed it to the church and, and everybody in his church walked past this bum. And he was calling out. He was saying things. He was kind of acting like he was belligerent a little bit and drunk. And nobody, nobody talked to him. Now, the ushers and, you know, and security team knew that he was the pastor. But that, that was it. Nobody else knew. So you think they were a little surprised later on in the service when he walks in dressed as the bum. And he's going, you know, and then he's going from Matthew, you know, I was thirsty and you, you didn't give me a drink. I was hungry. You didn't give me food. I was, and it was like, and they go, but here's the point. He goes, and he said it so well, he goes, had you known that I was the pastor, what would you have done? He goes, everybody, they loved him in his church. They, they would have helped him. You know, they go, oh, I'd have brought you something. I'd have done this. I'd have, but it was based on what? Because they knew him. And it's so challenging to us. And that's what Paul's bringing this out. He's going, that's why this chapter is so profound. That's why the book of Romans, why it, you can see why it brings revival. Because you can't really even listen today and go, you know, God, you need to do something in my heart. I mean, because if we can't love each other the way that God's called the church to love each other, how are we going to love an unbelieving world? And then how for sure am I next? We look at this next week, going to love the enemies of God. You go, whew, man. And you think about it, and I put my notes this. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive other than Jesus, who would you choose? Who would you choose? Think about that. And then you got the whole dinner plan, and then all of a sudden, you know, a family in need shows up at your door. Maybe they came from across the border. They got ended up bust into Bakersfield. And somehow they found out you were a Christian. They knocked on your door. And they're hungry. They haven't had a shower in weeks. And they are tired and have no place to lay their head. But you have the opportunity to go to dinner with somebody of your choosing. Of all the people on this planet, you go, man, dead or alive. You know, man, if I could just have dinner with them. You go, what would you do? I know that could be, you know, you go, but I think, you know, it does well to at least for us to consider the thought. Because what Paul is writing about is that we wouldn't put anybody over anybody else. If there was a need in front of you, that you would take care of it. You know, it's like, who's my neighbor? And what scriptures say your neighbor is whoever is in front of you, right? I go, man, God, I need you to, to change my heart. Let me close with this illustration. And I love this when you think about loving people and the place that the world is today. There was a dad, and it was a true story. He, uh, he was reading the paper on a, on a Saturday morning. He had a five-year-old son who was there next to him. And he kept bugging his dad, you know, in a good way, wanted his dad to go outside and play with him. And the dad was wanting to read the paper. He was enjoying it. So he decides, he's looking around. He, he saw a, a page of the paper that had like uh, the universe on it and, or the world, the earth. And so he tears it off in there and he starts tearing it into little pieces and uh, he gives it to his son. He goes, okay, honey. He goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, you, you put the, the world together. And when you get the world together, he goes, then um, we can go outside and we'll play. So 
son sits right down next to his dad. He starts reading the paper. He's thinking, brilliant idea. I'll be able to read all day. And uh, so about 35 seconds later, he goes, dad, I'm done. Dad looks down. The whole world's together. He looks and he's thinking to himself, I got a genius for a kid. And he goes, honey, he said, that is awesome. He goes, how did you do it? And he goes, well, dad, he goes on the backside of, of the world was a man. And so I just put the man together and I figured if I put the man together, the whole world would come together. And you go, man, there's a truth in that, right? And that's what Paul is saying, because sometimes we're aiming at all the wrong things, but, but God always makes it about people. You know, it's not a supply chain problem in the truest sense. It's a people problem. And if we'd focus on loving people, whether they were in the church or outside of the church, could we say that the world has a greater chance of becoming a better place? Oh, obviously we know Jesus is coming back, right? And, and things are, you know, in many ways, they're going to get worse before they get better. But they get better for people who, what? who pass from death to life. And so that's our prayer. And so I'm going to invite the worship team out. And as they, they do, and we, we end with uh, communion today, you know, I've been just giving you this opportunity and just because of where we're at in the, in the book of Romans is that it's just a great time individually. You know, as you get the elements today, that you'd hold on to them and, and take a moment yourself, not even with your, with your husband or your wife. And it's always great to do that, but, but Jesus loves you. And he has a plan and a purpose for you. He's gifted you and he's called you. And, and for us to just enjoy that today and then to go, God, I know, you know, this chapter is all about love. That's what it's all about. And you're either going, God, thank you, because I am loving just like you love people. Or you go, God, this is an area of my life where it needs to be tweaked and this needs to be changed. And that's what Paul said to do. Look at your own heart today. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because what am I saying? I'm looking at my life and I go, God, in this area of my life, I don't reflect you. I need more Jesus. Amen. Is that a bad thing? No, that's a wonderful thing. Amen. And then to thank him and praise him that guess what? It's a possibility. It's not mission impossible. It's mission possible today because of what Christ can do in us today. The hope of glory. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in communion. I pray that you would bless it today. I pray that every heart here, Lord, understands your love for them and that, Lord, they have turned from their sin and turned to you as the one, the true and the living God who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world and that, God, you would use this time just affirm to our hearts your love for us. And that no matter where we find ourselves today in life, God, you're right there with us. And that's what you want us to know. You'd never leave us. You'd never forsake us. And so, Lord, we give you praise for that today. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunities that will be before us this week to, to reflect your love to people. But, God, we need you. We confess that. We need you. Fill us, Lord, afresh this day. Send us out, Lord, as lights in a world that's dark and in a world that, Lord, has lost its flavor. Use our lives for your glory and for the world's good, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen.